It's summertime, and that means it's time to get outside and enjoy the weather with some crisp, refreshing Bud Lights. Bud Light has the perfect summer lineup with Bud Light Lime and Bud Light Orange, both brewed with real citrus peels. New and just in time for summer is Bud Light Lemon Tea, brewed with real lemon peels and tea leaves. It's the ideal drink for summer, but it's only here for a limited time, so get it before it's gone. To really get you in the summer spirit, Bud Light is giving everyone the chance to win the getaway of a lifetime. You can win two tickets aboard a VIP cruise to the Bahamas this summer, featuring a live performance by Jake Owen, and of course, plenty of Bud Light. For a chance to win, simply post your Bud Light summertime photos using the hashtags real enough to get away and hashtag Bud Light contest on Facebook and Instagram. See BudLight.com slash real enough to get away for more details. Hello and welcome to Jam Session. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Juliette Littman is still out. She's doing great. She has not left me for Tyler from The Bachelor just yet. She will be back. But in the interim, today, I am joined by Allison Herman. Allison, hello. Hello. I'm so thrilled to be on the official podcast of summer. It really is. And we're. this is an interesting theme for us. We're going to do Mystery Bag, which is the segment I've invented where people come on this podcast and surprise me. And I, You have picked some topics with our lovely producer, Kaya. I don't know what they are. So we will do that in the second half of the show. But first, the, it's an interesting outline of topics we want to discuss. It's uh, it's just like bro summer, apparently. Apparently, Jam Session is now a podcast about bro summers. I mean, men are spending time together. I'm happy that they are. I'm happy that they found each other. I'm it, happy that we get to watch them have fun together. It's a great point. We celebrate relationships and friendships and, you know, community on Jam Session. So we're going to talk about the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood premiere. We're going to talk about Bradley Cooper's summer, which is is really on a lot of levels. And we're, we have a Jake Gyllenhaal update and follow-up to share. So it's really a, a rich cast of characters. Let's start with the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood premiere, which I guess I said this falls under the umbrella of bro summer because obviously Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are the two stars of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's new movie. I did a podcast earlier this week on Ringer Dish with Kate Nibbs and Andrew Gradadero about Leo and Brad, two movie stars. And we're going to talk about them. But the movie premiered this week, and there were just a lot of unusual, unexpected people at the premiere. Like, Brad Pitt and, and Leonardo DiCaprio were there, but Allison, who else was there? Well, Maya Hawke was there and shining and doing great. She is just having an amazing summer. We should say Maya Hawke is in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so that makes sense. Yes, okay. But she did I have look not great. seen the film yet, but oh, right. she did stand out. This is no spoilers, <laughs> I promise. But that is available on the IMDb page. I've just, I've consumed, like, every trailer multiple times. I'm aware that Margaret Qualley's in the movie. I'm aware that Lena Dunham in the movie is okay. in the movie. I'm aware that a lot of, like, non-usual suspects are in the the movie, okay. but for some reason, I missed that Maya Hawk is in the movie. So, now I'm very excited. So I don't think that me saying Maya Hawk is in the movie is going to spoil it for you, but if you want me to just not even tell you who else is in the movie, I won't. Maybe I can just run through and then you can just tell me when I'm wrong for okay, saying great. someone random is there. Okay. I mean, I know I do know that this is not a random appearance, but I would just like to note Eli Roth's insane peacock shirt and like magenta pale pink pants. Yes, he didn't dress for the red carpet in the traditional 2019 sense. He's more of like a 90s movie premiere, you know, that, that Twitter account. Yes. He's bringing that vibe to the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood carpet. Which I appreciate. Yeah. Some other people. I think the the biggest huh of the entire Once Upon a Time in Hollywood premiere was Britney Spears, who we love 
and who seems like she was having a nice time on the carpet. So that's great that she was there. I wouldn't have put Britney Spears down for like a passionate Quentin Tarantino fan. I would not. I would not even mistake her or cast her as a like movie fan. I don't think she spends her time delving into classic cinema. She has a whole Vegas show to put on, you know? That's true. And I think she probably has other interests. Are you, where are you on Tarantino? We could talk about this briefly. Why not? Well, you're saying that this is a bro podcast. I think Tarantino brings it's out the bro in us all. A hundred percent. He really does. Just, I've been doing a lot of podcasts about him with the bros in my own life. Like, whenever I watch a Quentin Tarantino movie, I just turn into a 14-year-old boy who loves explosions and cussing and murder. And I can't really apologize for that part of myself. I can only be who I am. But I'm just, I'm all in on this movie. I'm very excited. Yeah, I think also Quentin Tarantino obviously really loves the movies. He was famously like a a video store clerk and had, brings that kind of deep reference nerdiness that, you know, all the bros in our life love to do. And I usually am super impatient with that. But there is just that love of, like, Hollywood and movie stars in the movies that inflects his work and that I respond to. So if you like movies, I think you can kind of like get in the spirit of it, even if you have to hide your eyes during all of the, you know, gross stuff. Yeah, and he's able to just single-handedly make a movie into an event. Like, the fact that this was a premiere that we are talking about and being like, who was there? This is so random. Exactly. It took over Hollywood Boulevard. The fact that he can do that and also, like, force all the movie theaters to show it in big, fancy film formats is fun and exciting to me as a movie fan. Exactly. And I think that kind of speaks to—he also cast Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt in this movie because they're Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. Like, he— probably relates to them. I mean, he's worked with them before, but those are movie stars. People don't really care about movie stars anymore. We spend most of our time talking about other people because you don't really get as many super famous actors and actresses, but there are two of them. I should also say Margaret Robbie's in this movie, and she was at the premiere. She looked great. She was kind of doing the late 60s thing. This movie set in 1969. Is that a spoiler for you, Allison? I am aware of when the Manson murders happened. Okay, it's, it's about the Manson murders, FYI, and it's set in 1969. Chris Hemsworth was there. Yes, from with his wife. Did you happen to see that they were on a yacht in Majorca with Matt Damon and his wife? I didn't see it, but I heard you and Andrew discussing it. That's right. So their yacht season has come to a close, and now he was on the premiere. That makes sense to me. Why shouldn't he go see a movie? Sofia Vergara and Joe Manganiello. I guess they they just seem like people who go to premieres. Yeah, they're attractive. You want them on your red carpet so people— take photos of them and then post photos on websites and that will get publicity for your movie. Right. Travis Scott was there. That was a big haunt for me. I mean, he could like the movies too. You know, people people do like movies. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy for anyone who got to be at this event and see this film in the company of other mm-hmm. famous people. I just, you know, I'm, tr- I'm struggling to see a common connection here. Right. I'm scrolling through the page six slideshow. Most of them make sense and we won't spell them. Adriana Lima was there. I don't really know why. Pierce Brosnan was there looking great. And his son was there looking period appropriate. In I costume. Would say. Yeah. I don't know whether I would go in costume to a Hollywood premiere. Have you ever dressed up in costume for any sort of like movie event? I barely dress up in costume for Halloween. So, so, so Jam Session is really an anti-costume podcast, but I wasn't going to judge you, but this is a safe space. I've never done it either. 
I I really I don't do Halloween. I, I, think I don't I'm like just costumes. Anti-advanced planning or effort. Like my Halloween costume, heavy air quotes mm-hmm. this year was like I have a sweatshirt that says Weed Mom on it, and then mm-hmm. I just had a like half-drunk bottle of rosé in my apartment, and I just brought both of them to a party and was like, I'm a cool mom. Yeah, I and mean that was that was it. That works. I can't remember the last time that I dressed up for Halloween. Okay, so we are agreed that this is like showing up to the concert in the band's t-shirt. Or it's like it's like going to the concert, buying the current merch, then putting it on, and then sitting through the concert. I mean, Comic-Con was this weekend, so mm-hmm. maybe he was just like in the spirit. He was inspired. But I will say I respect like allowing your Silver Fox father to upstage you when you are a young son of Hollywood is very admirable I to think me. if Pierce Brosnan's your dad, you just got to do that. No, but it's You've lived your whole life that way. You're That's very fair. comfortable with it. He's accepted it. John Stamos was there. No idea why. Rob Lowe was there. I guess he just likes movies. I recently heard... Allison, do you know what, like, Sirius is? You know what Sirius is. You I know what Sirius is. My dad has it built I, into his I car. I knew that this was... I was like, how long before we have, like, a generational rift on this podcast? And here it is. Yes. So I listen. I'm an old person. I'm not as old as your father, I don't think, though... I would Listen, be honored I, to I be as enjoy old as your father. Serious XMU. Okay. When I am home, it's what I'm, I, I force my dad to listen to when I'm in his car. Right. So I don't listen to that one. I listen to a lot of the Tom Petty Serious Station because Great. I like am as old as time apparently. And Rob Lowe recently like guest DJed a Tom Petty like hour. It was it was a set, but it was like a really long set, and it was Rob Lowe just. Like doing actually, I was a surprising number of deep cuts and being like, this helped me get through a breakup when I was 19. I have to say I was impressed. I was going to ask if he had any any like personal Tom Petty stories or was it just purely fan? There was, was no. It was purely fan. And it was clear that he had been training for this moment for a long time and was like, I have a lot of takes about Tom Petty and like Tom Petty catalog that I'd like to share with you. And I will say about 40% of it was just him, like, recounting the plots of Tom Petty songs. And he was like, you know, and then this happens. And then he sings Free Fallen. And you're like, we know, Rob Lowe. But the rest of it was, it was a better than average celebrity DJ set. Listen, if I became famous, like, top of my agenda would just be, like, forcing a radio station to give me an hour to recap the songs of my favorite artist. I feel like that is a justifiable cashing in of celebrity coins. I would really like to be on the Beatles serious station, and no one's reached out. And I've advertised it on several platforms. <laughs> You've already done it for free. You've already That's done true. your rundown. <laughs> That's true. That that podcast is available on The Big Picture. I also have a meltdown on it. Anyway, Rob Lowe. Apparently likes old timey things, so he was also at the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood premiere. Do we think Tarantino just like loves '90s sitcoms? Is that what's going on there, or like the '90s pop culture in general? I suppose. Well, I don't. Again, don't want to spoil too much of the movie, and it does happen in 1969, so it's not really spoiling it. But he is a person who has a really deep love of pop culture in all its forms and a lot of obscure references. So it would not surprise me. Yeah, that makes sense. I always. I always forget that he's like the populist kind of Mm -hmm. film snob where he really is an omnivore, which I respect. Yes, I do as well. Robin Thicke was there, but we know why, because he plays beach volleyball with Leonardo DiCaprio. Eli Roth, as you mentioned. It was really just Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, Margot Robbie, and a bunch of other people. And I don't, and Britney Spears, I'm sorry. Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Britney Spears, and a bunch of other people. That seems like a fair approach to composing your list when you're already centering a movie premiere around, like, three of the biggest A-list movie stars alive. It's like you already have that side of it covered, so why not just get super random with everyone else? 
I guess so. I would have thought they are really leaning into like the old Hollywood big top aspect of this movie. So I thought they might have gone for like a little more glitz. But I suppose you got to let Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio shine, which is a great segue actually into part two of this discussion. This press tour has been pretty charming. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one thing at you that we didn't discuss beforehand. Did you happen to see the video? It was of Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Margot Robbie talking about the um, old movies that they've never seen. Oh, I did not. So it's an interview with MTV's Josh Horowitz, and he asked them, like, what old movie are you, like, basically ashamed to never have seen? And Brad Pitt is, like, very affable and answers immediately. He's like, I've never seen God with the Wind. And then I think, I can't remember how The Sound of Music comes up, but then Leonardo DiCaprio, who has built himself as a giant film nerd, always, he just, like, doesn't have a sense of humor. He's just like, well, I love cinema. Is also like, I've never seen The Sound of Music. Wow, he has something in common with another film nerd that we know. (laughs) Yes, with someone else I do a podcast with. But then, and Margot Robbie is so mad because she keeps talking about how, she, she tells this whole story about when I was on... The Wolf of Wall Street set with Leo, he made me watch all these movies. He was like, oh, you got to see this one. Oh, you got to see this one. Oh, you got to see this one. And then he's never seen The Sound of Music. And I I really felt so heard in that moment as a person hanging around. This is a podcast about a bro summer, I guess, but that's also a comment on bro summer. It's such a great film nerd indictment. That is deeply relatable content. I know. It's really, really good. And that was like a week ago. So they've still been have been going. There was a Hollywood Reporter piece about Leonardo DiCaprio. It was the cover story, though. I don't think he—it was a write-around. He didn't participate in it. And apparently on that, they mentioned that Leonardo DiCaprio had like a no-eye-contact policy on this set, which they just say that certain crew members are like— it, were told it would be better not to make eye contact with Leonardo DiCaprio— Leonardo DiCaprio is really great at being in the public eye and generating lots of entertaining stories and coverage and obviously great movies. I would say he's very low on the list of celebrities that I would actually like to spend time with in person. I kind of agree with you. And we talked about this on the the podcast with Kate and Andrew, and I was much more Team Brad. This is I, I brought all that up because I wanted to set up this story, which came out, which I do not believe— I, it is from The Sun, and I think it's 100% fictional, but I'm just going to read you. It's great fan fiction. Because apparently one person, allegedly, who loves hanging out with Leonardo DiCaprio is Brad Pitt. And they have bonded over a shared love of pottery as they hang out at Brad Pitt's sculpting studio. I don't even know what to say. This is incredible. I feel like Brad Pitt is a man of so many hobbies. There was the whole beekeeping story oh, yeah. earlier in the summer. I, that, also, I, he's not, not true. beekeeping. He's not beekeeping. He's not beekeeping, but like something about him is inspiring all this like well, so hobby the fan fiction. Sculpting <laughs> thing has some foundation in history because, like, famously, after his after the Angelina Jolie breakup and all of that drama, he was spotted like going to some random sculptor's studio in Frogtown, in which Frog I think Town. of every time I eat tacos at Salazar. As do I, which is a neighborhood in Los Angeles with one with a fantastic Mexican restaurant. Catch us at Salazar anytime. And then you know, also Brad Pitt just loves design. I don't know if you know this about him. 
it's my favorite thing about him. I've heard about the couches so many times over he the years. He loves couches, and he doesn't like it when couches are comfortable. He doesn't—he's really committed to architecture. He, like, literally showed up at a hearing for the new L.A. County Museum LACMA, the yeah, new building. Yeah, he's really the Swiss architects. And he, like, literally, he looks like his Moneyball character, and he's just like, I love architecture. So— I believe that he has a sculpting studio, which is part one of this. Although, although I don't know whether I do, but apparently this is the first part of this story. Yeah, my first question was whether, like, pottery and sculpting are supposed to be, like, distinct hobbies of his or whether it's all kind of lumped together. Those are great questions. All I know is I took one intro to ceramics class, and I was truly terrible at it. And it is a real art, and it requires a lot of, like, physical labor and also understanding of, like, the physics of the world. So in that sense, I would count ceramics as as sculpting, no problem. But I don't know how Brad Pitt uses his terminology. Here's what I've got from The Sun. Brad's got his own sculpting studio at his house, and Leo loves coming over to use it. Sure. I'm sure that that happens, right? It's just like, why don't you come over and we'll do some pottery? Are we sure this is not—I mean, obviously, we're we're accepting that this is fake and doesn't actually happen. Yes. But I feel like the real version of this is, like, Brad is like, come over, we'll do this together. Leo tries, realizes it's hard, and then it just becomes one of those evenings where, like, your friend is doing something that they like to do, and then you, like, sit politely and talk with them while you watch them do it. That's how I'm envisioning this. I feel like that's how two women would definitely do it. I'm going to read you the version that's, like, the this— <laughs> Summer bro version of this. They sometimes hang out with Brad's artist pals, but other times it's just the two of them. Leo brings sandwiches over from their favorite place, Fat Sal's, and they spend their boys' night creating art until the early hours. The Fat Sal's detail really sells it. They like, props to whoever that made Leo that Leo is picking up sandwiches at Fat Sal's, and that they then spend their boys' nights together creating art until the early hours. I mean— I don't, this is fictional, but what, what in that situation, it's like, should we create some art tonight? What do you think? Who talks like that? Of course, this is not real. Yeah, it's not, I would not describe it as like artistic expression. It's like you're doing a fun thing with your bro while you catch up. Also, speaking of fat cells, is Brad Pitt's like principal LA residence canonically in the kind of like mid to eastern Hollywood Hills? Because I know Angelina Jolie is in Los Feliz. So yes. I'm, Okay. It is. It is. It's like by that Gelson's. By my Gelson's. Oh, classic. He lives pretty close to me. I've never seen him. I Angelina Jolie apparently sometimes goes to the strip mall where my dry cleaner is. I've noticed it in paparazzi photos, but I've never seen her. Well, I know that she's enough on the east side to have gone to the dog park that's like pretty close to my house to like sell lemonade with her children. Right. Her house is mappable because it was like the Cecil B. DeMille estate. So you can find out where that is online. I mean, this is like total invasion of privacy, but whatever. It's all available on the internet. And then I think that she bought that home in part to be close-ish to Brad Pitt so that the kids would be kind of close by. That's also, it's easier to get to Frogtown from that area than it would be from like Brentwood or whatever. I'm just always fascinated by celebrities' real estate choices and where they choose to live in Los Angeles. Oh yeah, so. he's definitely uh, an East, well, not not definitely not an East Sider, but he's in the Hollywood Hills East. Where do you think Leonardo DiCaprio lives in Los Angeles? Well, we know he had the Silver Lake home or owned oh, the that's Silver right. Lake property. Oh, that's right. Oh, my God, my dream home. I forgot yes. about that until it was supplanted by Mark Ronson's home, which is my new dream home. But, but like, he didn't live in that one, right? No, I think he— I went. would think—and this is definitely me subtly negging mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio. Feel free to add me, but I do think he's a West Sider. It seems right. 
I, I like, agree with you. He's he's doing water sports too much to be inland. He needs to be near the water to be exactly. able to— Exactly. Well, to, like, doing the jetpacks and also playing volleyball or whatever. I do also feel like, based on what we know about Leonardo DiCaprio's, like, city bike enthusiasm, that he definitely likes a bird scooter. And that just screams Santa Monica, Venice. Yeah, do we think he's ridden a Hulu-branded bike share? I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has ridden all of them. Amazing. Yeah. Anyway, this is great. I don't believe that they do pottery together, but I also would not pay any money for their pottery because I have better investments of my time. But I would love it if that became a new thing, if it was like art by Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. I would go to a show. I would go I would to a give gallery. It five to eight years, but mm-hmm. I do think we're going to get a Brad Pitt vanity sculpture art show like at some point in the future. I can't wait. I will go. I'll be happy about it. I don't I'm, mind. I'll be happy for you when you I, Whatever. Attach. It's not like the art world is like a, a pure merit-based space. Like, let Brad Pitt do some art. Who is it going to hurt? I mean, like, I'm sure he will, like, donate the proceeds to charity or whatever. And, like, That's we will great. get enjoyment out of it. Let and your light shine, wins. Brad Pitt. I will visit your show. All right. Let's 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 keep the bro summer train moving. This is the this is the inexplicable one. We got to talk about Bradley Cooper's recent uh, dining experiences, his paparazzi photos. I guess he's having a nice time in the city. He is having a nice time in the city. That's so true. Everyone deserves to do that in New York or elsewhere. So first, he was photographed having lunch with Laura Dern Listen. in New York. We don't. That's that's great. I would love to have lunch with Laura Dern. I am envious of Bradley Cooper, although I do not approve of his sweatpants choices while he did this lunch. Yeah, we got to talk about the style. It's really, really tough. I'm looking at this photo right now, and Laura Dern is wearing, like, a a lovely, you know, tiered kind of hippie-ish dress and sneakers. I mean, she looks comfortable, but she's at least making an effort. He's wearing a Eagles Super Bowl champions hat, Bradley Cooper is, which, you know. I feel like that's just affixed to his scalp at this point. Yeah, I I, it's, I live with this. I can't really. I, I, can't <laughs> I forgot it. that this was very close to home for yeah. you. I'm sorry. The, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. We're very proud of them. Some kind of blue-tinted aviator. What's it called when the sunglasses are mirrored? Well, the sunglasses are mirrored. mirrored. That's sunglasses, what they are. Yeah. And they, but they're blue-mirrored. An ill-fitting olive... Like, schlubby shirt. Uh, are these sweatpants or track pants? They're bright red. The material looks loungewear-y to me. Yeah. And then I'm sure that some sneakerheads would recognize the sneakers, but I just, I have too many other things that I need to know about to know what sneakers That's also, are. like, a really terrible male-style move I have found where it's, like, choosing a fancy sneaker that other sneakerheads will recognize does not compensate for not trying at all in the rest of your outfit. Like, you need to do head-to-toe I, I or mean, nothing at all. Allison, it's just like, uh, this is my safe space. I live it at home. I just don't, you know, let's move on from it. But I agree with you. I didn't no, mean to bring up true. your trauma. I, I'm no, so sorry. No, my husband's a great dresser. But I, I, the sneaker thing is like a different language that even in this this summer bro podcast I, like I can't parse I have, that I honestly have no qualms with sneaker culture like I'm happy for them that they have that it's more the idea of like sneakers as your sole stylistic choice and just letting everything else go the problem with Bradley Cooper here is the fit like which is you know a lingo type both vernacular and also like quite literally these clothes don't fit at all. He looks really schlubby and strange, and I don't understand this. And then we got to fast forward to his next sighting. 
which was when he was having dinner with Anna Winter. And so let me just, let me say this right here. Cut this, quote me, Bradley Cooper and Anna Winter are not dating. Guys, we have to be better than this. I as users of the internet. Who looks at that pair of people and thinks, like, couple? So there are three photos, and they are paparazzi photos, and it's Bradley Cooper and Anna Winter on the street together. And based on, like, a series of, of three photos... Someone is, like, posting, like, they are allegedly dating. And we just, the responsibility with rumors and celebrity knowledge starts with us. We've talked about this before, friends. We have to, like, use context clues. We have to check our sources. We have to be rational. They are not dating. Anna Winter has dinner with famous people all of the time. It's quite literally her job. It's quite literally her job. And hopefully this is also a dinner slash style intervention because I got to tell you, Bradley Cooper did not dress up for Anna Wintour. Which, if you're going to dress up for one person in the whole world that you are having dinner with, it should be Anna Wintour. I would. He, I think he is wearing literally the same poorly fitting olive shirt. This time it is over a long-sleeved darker shirt. He's wearing bad jeans and the same sneakers. He has a— The laces are undone on the sneakers. He has a bowl cut and a mustache. Is this for a role? I think he's, like, still prepping the Leonard Bernstein thing, right? Like, he's not filming. It could be for a role. The hair and the mustache, uh, grooming choices, I'm always like, this could be for a role. So we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I just do not think that you get to go to dinner with Anna Winter like this. It's not okay by me. It's pretty disrespectful. And I feel like the theme of these outings, like part of the, um, I guess it's not really a divorce, but part of the breakup rollout that's been happening. Yes. Which they're ding, doing ding, a ding. great job of making it seem like it's amicable. I have no idea if it is, but congratulations to they're their They're doing publicists. a great job of calling the paparazzi to take photos at various locations. Exactly. Anyway, and yes. there was a some, like, basically press release. That's that speculation, like, by the way. I have no knowledge. I just, that's my interpretation of photographs that are somewhat evasive. It so. seems like a fair reading. Okay. So they also have announced that, like, they're both going to primarily live in New York and raise their daughter there. That's good. And I get, I get like, a big, I'm trying to be, like, sort of cultured and, like, blend into the city and make my life here. I guess Laura Dern is actually, like, more of an L.A. person. But getting dinner with Anna Wintour is, like, I'm a New York person now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, like, hobnob with the media elites. And I guess he's not going to try, so maybe that's still the L.A. in him. We'll see. We'll see when when Anna has worked her magic. Yeah. I mean, if not Anna, like, please, Tan France. We need need your help. That's true. This is what you're here for. In conclusion, please think when you read... Celebrity gossip. You are the future. You are the good reporting and sourcing that we need in the world. Jam Session listeners, please be responsible. Okay. Final thing in this the bro summer. We just got to follow up on Jake Gyllenhaal, and specifically Jake Gyllenhaal's Instagram. I have one update that I would like to share, which is just to clarify. If you listen a couple weeks ago, you heard Alyssa Bresnak do Mystery Bag, and you heard her allege that a cat Instagram belonged to Jake Gyllenhaal, and it doesn't. I think we fully got confirmation that it's by a third party of someone else commenting, being like, oh, I love your cat, and someone being like, yes, and then Jake Gyllenhaal commenting on the third party Instagram being like, your cat is great. So Jake Gyllenhaal has interacted with the cat. Jake Gyllenhaal possibly knows the cat. It's not Jake Gyllenhaal's cat. Oh, this is so sad to me as a fellow cat owner. Is that like, a, that's breaking news to you? You listened to that whole segment and then you looked at the Instagram with no photographic evidence and then you were like, oh, it's definitely just, Jake Gyllenhaal's cat. It was definitely cat. wishful thinking. I wanted to believe. It's a cute cat. 
Okay. I, you know. It's also like, even if it was for promo, like I was willing to believe that it was a purely like cynical exercise, sure. not the actual cat ownership, but the social promotion of cat ownership. But I, I was willing to be like, okay, this is just to raise his profile for Marvel. I wasn't willing to go the extra mile and be like, right. this is totally fake. We just had a conversation about checking your sources, Allison. I just, it's hard to internalize, <laughs> especially when Jake, where Jake Gyllenhaal is concerned. All right, the other Instagram update is yours, and it is from his actual verified Jake Gyllenhaal yes, account. Yes, this is actual canonical Jake yes. Gyllenhaal social Great. media behavior. Girl. And it is, you and I are both fans of the writer and chef and television personality, Samin Nosrat. We are. I interviewed her last year. It was the greatest experience of my life. She grew up a 10-minute walk from the house where I grew up. It was amazing. Um, I'm getting sidetracked. Basically, she posted, like, a pretty normal Instagram of uh, her latest recipe, also sadly announcing that she's going to be taking a break from her New York Times column until next year. We wish her the best. I hope she picks up lots of inspiration Shine. on her own. Take time for yourself. We support that. Yeah, great. Draw boundaries. Go out in the world. But on this Instagram, Jake Gyllenhaal commented... With not one, not two, not three, but seven hearts in a row. Amazing Instagram usage by Jake Gyllenhaal. I also don't know that I would have thought of him as like home cook culture connoisseur. I don't know if he's a home cook. I feel like he might just be a person who watched Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat and is like, this is one of the most charismatic people I've ever seen in my life. He's definitely someone who would watch Salt, Acid, Fat, Heat and then be like, you know that you need to add like an acid to something when you cook it and start explaining the science to people, which is fine because I know many other people in my life who do that as well. I can I can see him being enthused by knowing it and wanting I think to he, share. He's still at the post-Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. He's going to like try to cook something and like egregiously over. I hope he puts that on Instagram. Uh, that's that would be a Jake Gyllenhaal novelty Instagram that I would like truly go all in on is his like novelty. You know how like Lord had her onion rings account. Oh yeah, like Jake Gyllenhaal cooks his way through self that acid. I'm sure something. he's listening, and I'm sure that he will follow up on I, our advice. I'm putting the vision out in the world, and I need <laughs> the universe to reciprocate. <laughs> that would be a great conclusion to Bro Summer. That's our updates for right now. We're gonna do mystery bag, but first a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Luminary, a new podcast subscription service with some of the best content around. I'm excited about Luminary because it's the only place you can listen to the newest show on the Ringer Network, Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 1999. This is definitely a podcast you can't miss. In 1999, a music festival took place in upstate New York that became a social experiment. There were riots, looting, and numerous assaults. And it was set to a soundtrack of the era's most aggressive rock bands. Incredibly, it was the third iteration of Woodstock, a festival known for peace, love, and hippie idealism. But Woodstock 99 revealed some hard truths behind the myths of the 1960s and the danger that nostalgia can engender. Along with Woodstock 99, Luminary gives you access to a bunch of other original shows from innovative, dynamic creators you can't find anywhere else, like our spinoff, The Rewatchables 1999. The Luminary app is free to download, and in addition to the can't-miss originals, you can use it to listen to thousands of podcasts, including this one. Whether you're into music, TV and film, comedy, sports, or more, Luminary has the right show for you. Check out Woodstock 99 and so much more, only on Luminary. Get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link jam. After that, it's only $7.99 per month. That's luminary.link jam for two months of free access. Luminary.link jam. Cancel anytime. Terms apply. I'm closing my computer. It's time for Mystery Bag. For those of you who do not remember, the rules of Mystery Bag are thus. I ask a guest to pick three topics— 
that he or she feels are worthy and necessary for the jam session audience. They can be new developments. It can be revisiting old stories and gossip and, and celebrities of yore. There are, you know, it's it's really up to you. I only ask that it it be worthy of jam session. So you, you, Allison, have done this, and you've consulted with Kaya, and you have your three topics. I don't know what they are. I have a captive audience, and I'm making the most of that. I, that's exciting. Let's go. What's number one? Okay. Well, first of all, just the first two I know are going to be trials for you, and I would like to apologize, and we are going to reward you with the third one. Okay, that's fine. I th- I think it's funny when I'm mad during this sometimes, Great. so keep going. Okay, so the first one I put on the agenda specifically because Amanda refused to put it on the main agenda, and that is we need to talk about the Cats trailer. Hi! I just... (laughs) Listen, this is a pop culture podcast, and this was, like, maybe the defining pop culture event of the last week. I just think we need to... That's because you're too young to have seen the original Top Gun, and so you don't know about the Top Gun trailer, which was actually the number one defining trailer event of last week. I think literally my first reaction in the ringer slack when the Cats trailer trailer drop was, pardon my French, fuck Top Gun. This is more important. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it's, it's not going to be. And by the way, it's jam ca- session canon that it's not. Uh, but I respect that. <laughs> it was definitely a meme event. What What would you like to talk about, about the Cats trailer? I just want to know, first of all, I know that Cats, like you have real tangible like actual in-person experience with cats that I know is the like musical. A, yes, is like yeah. a foundational trauma. Thank you. I'll, I'll share it briefly. I my first my parents took me to New York. I couldn't have been. I must have been eight or nine, and we went to see cats. And those motherfucking cats are just up, walking up the aisle in a unitard, and I was terrified. I do not like audience participation or interaction. That is going back to a foundational trauma in Arizona with an Anna Oakley event experience that we don't have to get into. But it's, do you know how strange Cats is? I mean, I am learning through this trailer. The most distressing thing about the Cats trailer is that I was like, yeah, that's what Cats is like. That's uh, that's just like, that is an accurate representation of the musical, which was, if not still is, the longest running Broadway musical of all time. America was like, yes, give me people in unitards, like crawling. And it's not just that they come down the aisle, Allison. They perch. And I think I had an aisle seat because even in an early age, I needed an aisle seat to be able to go to the restroom from time to time, which is still my preferred seating in any sort of theater. And they perch. They put their little, like, hand paws on the on the armrest, and they lean over, and they're doing, like, very demonstrative hand gestures. And it's, it's, it is the worst theater kid experience that you can have. I mean, honestly, like, this is what I wanted out of bringing up cats. I wanted to, like, elicit this reaction from you. But I just think it's fascinating that, like, the entire culture is having this, like, high camp freak out. Like, the I do not enjoy my time on the website Twitter.com just mm-hmm. As a rule, the two to three hours after the Cats movie trailer dropped were like the most fun I've had online all year. It seems like the worst idea of all time. 
And it seems like everyone was realizing at the same time. I We had a sense that this would be a bad idea because some of us were trapped in a theater with the cats well, in the early 90s. Everyone I know who has seen the musical has now pointed out to me that there is no plot. Like the plot is that oh, they all— I have all, no idea what the plot is. So the plot has been described to me as like they all come together to decide who will like die and be reincarnated, mm-hmm. which also just like great plot for a kid's movie. I'm sure everyone will love that. But just they all come together and then they introduce themselves and at the very end someone's like that one is the one that will die and be reincarnated and it's I believe sorry for spoiling cats it's the cat who's played by Jennifer Hudson right because she gets to sing memories yes which is like the only that and like Jellicle Cats are the only two well-known songs from cats but just the fact that someone (laughs) hold on hold on (laughs) there's one well-known song from cats and then there's Jellicle Cats which is just like T.S. Eliot nonsense but continue I think Jellicle Cats is the most frequently parodied one, so okay, that's how sure. that's like my entry point into it. It's wild that Taylor Swift is in this movie, just in terms of just not making a good choice in like four years now. It's unbelievable that they decided what she needs to do to reinvent herself is to make whatever that song was with the rain. I don't even remember the name of the song. I'm I'm so out on it. And then to be in Cats. I mean, I think. Maybe it's kind of edging her toward, again, because this is like a high camp enterprise. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if she's ever going to get people's full unironic, like, and by people, I mean just like the snobby critical people like us. I don't know if we're ever going to be fully in her corner again. And now we're kind of firmly in a, like, we're all very skeptical. I thought the, the single that she released today was the strongest, but like, I don't have great feelings about the upcoming album. Okay. But if she's just in like a full on disaster and just like really committing to the bit, I think that edges her pretty close to like, the diva icon thing that people can ironically reclaim. I guess so. It's just, can you be committing to the bit when you're in a movie where they CGI fake cat fur and like Snapchat ears on you? It's true. I think the bit was like committed to her. It's really upsetting that like Judi Dench, an actress I love, is in this movie. And Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen, yeah. I mean, I hope they got paid. A I sir hope and a they, dame. I hope that they each have beautiful beach homes on the island of their choosing and like ex- luxurious transportation to get them to and from it for being in Tom Hooper's Cats. I can't believe we're going to have to talk about this for like eight months. I'm so, I'm so angry. My current theory is that like people are going to go see this ironically and that will single-handedly propel it to like the biggest. Yes, Allison, that was obvious within five minutes of all the Twitter jokes. And that means I'm going to have to talk about it throughout Oscar season. And I got to be honest, I would rather spend my time doing other things, but it's that's all right. I it's, I mean, it was very funny. I just, I needed to commemorate this moment. Again, I'm sorry, but now we can maybe move on to the second thing yes, that you're not really go. going to want to talk about. Okay, but that's a thing okay. That, a thing that we were talking about earlier today in Ringer Slack was uh, Scarlett Johansson's engagement ring because she and uh, Colin Jost are now betrothed to be wed. Yeah. It maybe cost $400,000. We're not sure. It's also entirely possible that they didn't pay for it because now the ring is in the tabloids, but I thought that would be a good springboard into a broader celebrity trend that I don't know has been discussed in this podcast, which is the men of SNL. It's a great, I'm I'm glad that you brought this up. Just consistently dating super famous, beautiful women. Who else we got? So currently Emma Stone is dating a writer on SNL, or no. last we heard, they broke it, up? He is a director. He's a director. His name is Dave McCarry. Okay, but they're still together. Yes, they are still together. Okay. And uh, he, although and I did want to, I did kind of want to build up to that one because oh, that's I'm kind sorry, of the couple but that's I'm secretly the, the most one. invested in. Yes. Yeah, okay, who so are that, the others? that is the most interesting one, but we'll 
we be, we'll get to it. Um, so obviously Colin Jost and Scarlett Johansson and mm-hmm. Colin Jost had also previously dated Rashida Jones. So latest in like a succession of famous and right. beautiful women he has dated. Pete Davidson, obviously Ariana Grande. Oh, I think right. the notable part of the Kate Beckinsale rebound <sighs> thing is that like that wasn't really a fluke. I guess he's just going to consistently be dating celebrities from now on because dating Ariana Grande like propelled him into that level of celebrity. Yeah, I think that seems right. Yeah, so those two are interesting cases that have been extensively analyzed. And the one that I personally, like, genuinely think is going to be a thing for the long term Mm -hmm. is Emma Stone and Dave McCary. And Dave McCary is notably not on-camera talent. I would sort of like to apologize to him because he was hired as part of a sketch group called Good Neighbor with uh, my San Diego compatriot Kyle Mooney and Mm -hmm. uh, Beck Bennett. They had formed a sketch group, I think, when they were all at USC together. And because Dave McCain—the idea was, like, Kyle and Beck would be in the sketches and Dave would direct them. And I sort of assumed because he was not the on-camera talent, he was going to be the least conventionally attractive. And that turned Mm -hmm. out to be the opposite of the case. Yeah, he's he's quite handsome. And you can tell that it's serious because— They've only been photographed, like, at, I think it was, like, a Lakers game or maybe it was a Knicks game. I don't know. Um, a, a basketball game. I know which sport it was, at least. But otherwise, they have not really been super public about it. It's clear that she's protecting it, which I always take to mean that they're 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 serious about it. I, I mean, also, I guess she was so public with Andrew Garfield that you can't really— you don't want to do that twice. Definitely. And it's like they don't really walk red carpets together. I don't get the sense that, like, he's trying to leverage it the mm-hmm. way that I think a lot of people got that sense with Ariana and Pete. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I just genuinely, you know, I enjoy Pete Davidson. I find him very charming. Um, I have my issues with Colin Jost, although I actually don't dislike him as much as the consensus holds. Right. I genuinely love the good, both the Good Neighbor sketches and also Dave directed a movie, a very good movie called Brigsby Bear starring Kyle. Oh, right. I never saw that, but people did like it. It is definitely not Amanda Core. I would not necessarily recommend it to you personally. I really, really loved it. And it's also a movie where it's like, I shouldn't really explain the premise because it yeah, yeah, yeah. you want to yeah. you want to be surprised by it but Mark Hamill is in it and he's wonderful. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's just a very good, very sensitive, very smart and f- deeply felt movie and I feel very good about Emma Stone dating the person who made that if yeah. that makes sense. It makes sense in terms of fame kind of quadrants, right? The like the movie star and the very famous woman dating someone like the the funny guy who is still in the industry, and by, like, I just mean, like, SNL person, but still in the industry, kind of familiar with the ups and downs, the schedules, how all the things go, but they're not really in competition. Their careers are kind of parallel as opposed to totally colliding. Well, this brings me to kind of my unified theory of, yeah. like, how this Love is it. happening. Love a unified theory. Go. Which is just, as, being on SNL means you are just regularly in proximity mm-hmm. to extremely famous people, which on top of just, like, the literal logistics of, like, how people meet, like, you know, it didn't work out so well, but Elizabeth Moss and Fred Armisen met when she was hosting SNL. Right. Um, my, I think Maya Rudolph and PTA also met, like, I think on that's right. SNL. I mean, there is, like, a history of that, that being a place where people get thrown together. Yeah. There's a history, but 
in, on top of just like literally introducing people, I just think it creates a mentality in the people who are on the show where they are like comfortable being around people who are way more famous than they are. They can be chill about it. They're not going to like freak out or get super starstruck. They're accustomed to it. They're accustomed to being like around the entourage and everything. And so they're able to like relate to them, not as super famous person to super famous person, but they're able to be like, okay, like I can be around this without being just like totally shut down by how insane this world is. I think that's really smart and perceptive and is probably very much the case because I think we talk a lot about, Juliet and I talk a lot about how, I, I just, I still don't understand how like a really, like two super famous people, for example, A-Rod and J-Lo, how does that work functionally? Because they have to be in different places all the time. They own different properties. Like what does the actual relationship look like and what do they have in common besides their their fame? But what you outlined, I, I you can understand how it would work, right? Because they are, they are familiar with each other's settings without being like totally overlapping and the schedules are not entirely un- incompatible and you like can know what you know what they would talk about sort of yeah and it's not always like romantic like John Mulaney is a really amazing stand-up comic and a mm-hmm. former writer for SNL and he has a whole bit in his latest special about like writing a joke for Mick Jagger it's yes it's very funny it's very funny but it's also just like when you are in that job and in that workspace, you have a lot of experience seeing famous people mm-hmm. when they are not fully, like, on as public figures and you're literally just, like, working together and collaborating as people. And I can see how that would be conducive to forming, like, a lasting interpersonal bond. Yeah, I think that's smart. I And I also, I wish Emma Stone well. That would be exciting. Yeah, I'm genuinely happy for her yeah. and happy for Dave, and I hope they both continue to have amazing careers and maybe, like, wait on the line when they have an extremely stable relationship collaborate, but, like, no pressure. Yeah, I mean, that's always fun. That's I mean, that's just always candy when you get to actually watch the product of a relationship, but it, it seems early. All right, what's number three? Okay, so this is... I'm bringing it back to our shared and sincere passion. Oh, yeah. This is uh, this was I requested, like, a, a theme for one of your mystery bags. Yes. So both Amanda and I are avid home cooks, mm-hmm. and we frequently like to exchange recipes. And I just wanted to talk which, a little the, bit. In the recipe slack, which is the best ringer slack. It really is. I think we are the one, number right. one and We're, two most frequent exactly. contributors. Exactly. It's just a supportive space. You can just put recipes in, and then you can ask questions. It's great. But the latest recipe that I put in there was one that I tried last night, which is a New York Times recipe for tomato poached fish by a uh, chef and writer named Allison Roman. And I want to talk a little bit about Allison Roman's sort of, I, I jokingly propose it to Kai as like the mm-hmm. cult of Allison Roman, but she has a very dedicated following that I think says a lot about how to make yourself a culinary personality. She's in definitely a celebrity chef, or she's like an Instagram celebrity chef. She's like the prototypical. Instagram food, it, like influencer isn't fair because she actually does cook, but I think she is legitimately famous in the food world now and sells a lot of cookbooks and is on the Today Show a lot. And and you mentioned that the recipe you mentioned is now known as the fish. And she also had a recipe called the stew and a recipe called the cookies. Like, yes, it completes the trifecta of viral recipes. Yeah. So she's like, she is a food celebrity pretty much entirely because of her Instagram and her recipes. Yeah, and this is a podcast about image making. Yes. And she is just 
incredibly smart and intuitive about how to build and leverage her image. So a thing that she did on Instagram that really, I think, helped these recipes go viral was using the stories feature. When people would cook her recipe, they would tag her, Mm -hmm. and then she saves those stories and then just will pick a time and will just post, like, 10 to 15 pictures in a row of, like, a bunch of people making the cookies or the stew or the fish. I actually, like, didn't tag her intentionally because I was like, I don't want to get reposted. But um, but it's a really smart way of being like, not only being like, hey, other people are cooking this, it is achievable, you can do it too, but also like creating the sense that it's a movement, which becomes this kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And the actual recipes, I think we should stipulate, tend to be very good. Um, especially the viral ones are very like basic, but not as a pejorative. Like they're really good templates for teaching people how a certain kind of recipe works. Yeah. And they're flexible. And you wrote a fantastic, fantastic piece about the New York Times cooking app and specifically the comments on that app and which is a community of its own. But uh, Allison's recipes, Allison Roman's recipes. Not yes, our names recipes. are like weirdly similar. Yeah, Allison Roman's confusing. recipes will often have like a really engaged community in the comments as well, adding suggestions or modifications. Like I, I really enjoyed the stew, but I only use one can of coconut milk, and I add some extra. I throw some spinach in, or I can't remember what else I do because it's summer now, and I haven't made the stew in a while. But those are all from the comments. So. I agree. They're great. They're great templates. I I have her cookbook, Dining In, which I really recommend. And she also has a smoked trout recipe from Bon Appetit, which is like the all-time cocktail. Like, I don't know that if, one. If you're ever going to a party or need to take something, it's so easy. And it it wins every time. People are just like, oh, my God, it's amazing. I, I totally agree. I think there's something... I do follow Allison Roman on Instagram, which is I, I don't really follow celebrities and I don't follow that many influencers on Instagram. I guess I do use Instagram for cooking a lot. Yes. It, it's a great place to get recipe inspiration, you know, what sh- the what should I cook tonight thing. And- My explore tab at this point is literally entirely food because I just follow so many. I follow, like, Bon Appetit's entire staff, which, like, that's a whole other— Oh, yeah. I, thought, like, I definitely thought when I gave you the food prompt that you were going to talk about them. I have talked about them so much on The Watch. I, I felt like I needed, like, new content for this. But, I mean, I can talk about it anytime. You should listen to— um, Chris Ryan and Allison Herman talk about the Bon Appetit videos on The Watch. You should also listen to Chris Ryan's interview with Claire Saffitz, which Allison— I'm still so hurt. <laughs> she came into the office. She was here. Allison was out of town or and didn't get to meet her. I, like, honest to God, sat outside the podcast studio like a, like a scary person just waiting for her to come out of the podcast studio so I could introduce myself, which I have never done to anyone else that has ever come to be interviewed at right, the Ringer. We've had some, like, very famous people <laughs> come through the lot at one point or another. And I think everyone at the Ringer was, like, the most starstruck by this. Yeah, because those videos, those videos to me, and, and you've you've said this many times, and you're very smart about it, but they encapsulate what I'm looking for— and, like, why why you and I have a slack about recipes and why we wanted to talk about it, because at some point, yes, you're cooking and it's, you know, everybody needs to eat. But the relationships between those Bon Appetit characters, which they basically are, they're they're personalities. And you know who they are and you know their preferences. And it's a way of knowing about a person through what they cook. It's also why I love New York Magazine's Grub Street Diet, which is just a weekly column about what one person ate. And you learn so much. It's so revealing about how you live in the world and what you value. And I think the same thing is true 
of how you put a recipe together and what type of things you're cooking and how you're going to present them and what you ask of people. Like there's, if you don't like cooking, then you're not listening anymore. So that's fine. And we'll just keep talking. But you know, they're like, there is the Genji school of cook, right? Which is the super research and science driven and exact type of person who wants to know that they're making the very best type of thing. Right. And they're measuring it out. And I really admire those recipes and have no patience for them. I do them occasionally. Like I made, um, so you're talking about Kenji Lopez all yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So like I made his chicken parm, which was like a whole endeavor, and it was like amazing, and it was fun to commit myself to a weekend project. But right. like it's a project. But I will never do that, even though I know that it's the best way to do it. I can't. I'm not the measurer. I'm the I'm the feeling it out. I'm just gonna be like a glug of olive oil and a lot of which is. It means I'm not the best cook in my house anymore because my husband is like very exact and will follow all of the recipe, the all of the measurements. Every time you make something, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is what happens when you can follow stuff. But I, I approach it differently, and I think Allison Herman has created. You're Allison Herman. <laughs> you 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 have created a, an approachable vibe yourself, but Allison Roman has created this this anyone can cook vibe as you said and it's it, it is a lifestyle and it's you know you could be traveling anywhere and then you just find this fish and you're just going to put some olive oil on it and then like eight of your friends will be there and it will be approachable and delicious and it really appeals to me and it appeals to a lot of people and she's very very good at like layering a bunch of flavor very simply and easily into a simple dish. Mm -hmm. Like, this fish thing that I made last night was literally, like, take some oil, put some shallots and garlic in it, crisp them up, add some chili. She says red chili flakes. I had Calabrian chilies in the house because I'm fancy like that, so I added those. Yeah, it was, like, really a moment. And then you just, like, put some tomatoes in, let those stew, add some, like, water and fish sauce, add the fish, and then you're done, and you, like, re-add the crispy garlic and shallots and, like, some herbs She loves top. to do that, and I never do it. I'm too lazy to crisp them ahead of time and add it. I gotta really say, lazy. Those, are, those are kind of the the secret weapons. Like, she has another recipe for uh, creamy cauliflower pasta that I believe was hashtag as the pasta. I don't know if it quite caught on to the same extent. But she you just You know has, what's funny about that? I don't think it did, and you know why? And she even acknowledged this in the recipe, but it was—it's just one color. Yeah, it's very beige. Yeah, and there is something about— Because when you, as you said, image making, and it's like a very literal, the recipes that really pop, there is like a visual element to them, and she is resharing the actual pictures of people cooking them. And it's like, I mean, listen, I love beige foods. I think from the ages of three to five, it's all I ate. But— I think that's what happened. Well, and God bless her. She, like, adds basically, like, four different garnishes at the end that are very tasty, but they also, like, make it pop visually a little more. But, like, part of that recipe is that she has this, like, little tip for toasting breadcrumbs and then, like, grating cheese on top of them. Mm -hmm. So they make, like, cheesy breadcrumb clusters. And, like, in the recipe, she's just like, yeah, you should just, like, do this on other pasta recipes. Uh, What are you cooking tonight? Oh, tonight I'm actually going out for dinner. Okay. What's <laughs> but, like what's the next what's the next I was literally going to I was thinking like 
I did my big cooking projects this weekend. So I made mm-hmm. like a delicious charred corn salad from Smitten Kitchen that I highly encourage everyone to do with their farmer's market corn if they're like really leaning into that lifestyle. And we I didn't a, even tell you about Smitten Kitchen on this one. Love her. Yeah. She's great. And then I've been also. On a, I've been on a fritters kick this summer, which is just oh. like all the recipes that she makes for her children to get them to eat vegetables. And that's just been me all summer. Anyway, keep going. It's great. Yeah. So I made the charred corn salad and then I made a dry rib flank steak, which was a wow. bon recipe. Oh, yeah. I'm, I was like really like I needed to. It was. We were we were both preparing to make content surrounding the finale of Big Little Lies. That's true. We and were. I was like, I'm both in a luxurious mood because of it, and I need to like give myself some real like self care sustenance before Love I it. dive into work on a Sunday night. Yeah. So that was that, and then I did the fancy fish thing last night, and then I was like, what's just like a cheap, easy midweek thing? And I was literally going to make the brown butter mushroom thing because it's like I have butter, I have breadcrumbs, I probably have pasta somewhere. I literally just need to like stop in the store and get some mushrooms. That's and great. It'll be great. There you go. That's yeah. very exciting. How about you? Tonight I'm doing, tonight's a no-cook dinner, which I, I'm i in summer mode. I'm in the, I don't really want to be, I don't want to have the oven on. I don't want to be slaving too much. So I'm going to make some hummus myself tonight and then I'll do, you know, tomatoes, cucumbers. We have, I bought some halloumi. So I'll put that in a pan. I know I said I wasn't cooking, but it's minimal. And then like a bunch of pita and just put it all together on a platter. I really respect the no-cook dinner. My if I'm being like super honest, my no cook dinner is like a pint of ice cream. But you know, we all need to live our truth. Sometimes. I will absolutely be having a pint of ice cream after that. Actually, what I'll have is like I we got cupcakes for the series finale of Big Little Live, and then I just took home like seven of them, and I'm just eating, making my great. one by one. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. All right, that's a great place to end mystery bag. I thank you for listening to us talk about cooking for 20 minutes, which is our true passion. Maybe we'll just start a cooking show like Jennifer Garner. Do you watch that cooking show with Jennifer Garner? I on, saw that she recently woke up at five. 5 a.m. to make They're bagels. all in the morning. I don't know why she has to be cooking at 5 a.m. She's Jennifer Garner. I think she has can cook in the middle of the day if she wants to. But I do find, I like watched eight of them the other day. They're just really engaging. Thank you. Thank you to Jennifer Garner. Thank you to Allison Herman. And thank you for listening. We will be back next week. Bye.